You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. I have given this introduction to our preacher this morning before, but this morning it's a little bit unique. So uh, Chewy uh, is no stranger to New City. He's actually been with us a couple times at a couple different locations. When we were in the scorching heat during COVID out in the middle of a field, he preached for us on top of a uh, trailer. Uh, So he was there for us then. And uh, he preached for us as we were focusing on church planting uh, a number of months ago back in uh, 2021. But I want to give a special introduction this morning because if you weren't at our member meeting at at this past uh, gathering, uh, we talked about how Chewy's actually going to be joining our church staff uh, for sort of a season where we're going to figure out a more long-term plan. But from now until the end of the year, uh, Chewy's going to be jumping on and helping us in a variety of ways uh, as we, uh, you know, continue to serve the Lord together. And so I'm not going to give him much of an introduction. He can tell you more about himself other than to say we're just so honored, uh, Chewy and Carla and your four lovely kids, to have you here uh, for this season as we just prayerfully consider what the Lord has for all of us. It's, it really has been an honor to get to know you both over the, over the last year and especially to have you preach for us such a sacred topic this morning. And so, Chewy, let me welcome you up here, and would you give him a welcome as he joins us to deliver God's word? There you go. Sorry, I've forgotten how to do these things. Um, so thank you, Will, and thank you, guys. It's, uh, it's really a, an honor to be here. And like, Bill, uh, like Will said, we've been here before. And um, I actually printed my sermon for the first time in years. And so I'm going to be trying something new. But um, I am excited to be with New City. This is a a privilege for my family and myself to be serving you. And um, as somebody who's on the staff, I, I would like to ask you to consider me as somebody who is here to, to serve you, to help you in, in any way I can. Uh, that's what I want to do. I want to be a vehicle for God to, to draw you closer to him. So please consider us uh, servants of, of you uh, as, as a church. So uh, if you don't know me, I've already been here twice, but my name is, my name is not Chewy. My name is Jesse. What's the name of the order? It's like Jesus in Spanish. That's literally what I say every time I go through a drive-thru. And they say, what's the name of the order? And I say, Jesus, just like Jesus in Spanish. And that's the way they finally write it, write it well, because otherwise they, they've butchered my name in all kinds of ways. So in Me- I'm from Mexico, and in Mexico, the, the nickname for Jesus is Chewy. Uh, there's another version of that same nickname, and it's Chucho. And if you're fam- familiar with Central Americans, Chucho in Central America means dog. So, of course, I, I will stick to Chewy, not Chucho. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for uh, being here. Let me go ahead and um, pray for us, and we'll, we're going to dive into a sermon that's not new. This, is, this was not my idea. This is something that has been done for years, and it's uh, walking through the crucifixion and what that means for us. So that's what we're going to be doing today, but let's go ahead and pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for 
uh, this week. Thank you for what we celebrate this week, uh, that you were arrested and crucified and you were killed in our place. And Lord, I pray that today um, we would come to a realization of really the depth and uh, the magnitude of this event and, and what it means for us today and what it means for everyone around us. And Lord, I pray that this would only create anticipation as we look forward to Easter and the awesomeness of the resurrection. Uh, I pray that today our hearts would be open and that your spirit would work um, through your word uh, in our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So last week we saw Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying in anguish to his father. He prayed and he asked God not to let him suffer using the language of, please, let this cup pass from me. But Jesus surrenders his will to the Father, and instead of the cup passing from him, a journey of more suffering began for him. Right after Jesus prays in Gethsemane, Judas, one of his friends, shows up with other people. And by betraying Jesus... He tells them who is the one they should arrest, and they do so. Judas betrays Jesus for money. After spending three years with him, witnessing his miracles, his love for people, Judas betrays his friend. Jesus is arrested, and he's taken by the leaders of the Jewish people. He's unjustly tried and found guilty and condemned to death by them. But because they are part of a Roman, co Roman colony, they cannot kill them themselves. So he's then taken to Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea of that time. And Pontius Pilate cannot find blame on Jesus. But the Jewish leaders continue to pressure him to crucify him. So Pilate looks at the people and resources to a democratic vote. He goes in front of them and he tells them, what do you want me to do with this man, Jesus? And there was a tradition that they had during the, the feast of the Passover where the governor would release a Jewish prisoner to the people. Pilate thought, these people are not going to find any blame on Jesus just like I did, so they'll probably ask me to release Jesus. But instead, the people began to ask for Barabbas, a convicted criminal, somebody who had been arrested because of murder and insurrection. And to Pilate's surprise, everybody asks, free Barabbas or Barabbas. Pilate cannot believe What's happening? And he says, but what about Jesus? What should I do with him? And the Jewish leaders began to, to, to convince the people to, to even scream louder, crucify him. So he washes his hands and he says, all right, do as you please. So Jesus is taken. Jesus is beaten. He's spat on. He's flogged. He's mocked. He's stripped naked and tortured 
with a crown of thorns. And after receiving one of the worst public beatings and treatment, he was then forced to walk about half a mile uphill with a piece of the cross. The soldier's name is Simon of Cyrene, and they force him to help Jesus carry the cross to the place of the skull, Golgotha. Once he gets there, he's placed on the wooden cross, and he's nailed by his hands and his feet to the cross. And as blood is running from his wounds and his back after being flogged, he is lifted, and the entire weight of his body rests on his wounds. The pain and the desperation is just really hard to fathom for us. Jesus is publicly shamed. He is naked. And he is also crucified between two convicted criminals. And after Jesus went through all of this, he's absolutely exhausted. He's weak. He is bleeding. He is in horrible physical and emotional pain. He speaks to the crowd. And he utters seven words of his, in his last moment. And these words are words that tell us what the cross is all about. We can resource to this last words of Jesus from the cross to understand what the cross means for all of us. That's what we want to do today. So let's look at the first word from the cross. And the first one, we find it in Luke Chapter 23, verses 33 through 36. And it says, And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one of his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering sour wine. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Hanging from the cross, about to die, being mocked by people. Can you imagine that? You're hanging naked, bleeding from a cross, and I do not know the nerve that takes for somebody to just watch you as you die. Can you imagine? What kind of people are this? Who can watch somebody die in such a way? And not only that, Still make fun of him and taunt him. And Jesus' first words when he is crucified is a prayer of intercession for those people. Jesus prays, intercedes to the Father for those people in front of him. And completely, completely different from us, Jesus asks God to forgive them because they don't know what they do. I wouldn't do that. It would be really hard for me to do that. 
It's hard for me to sometimes forgive somebody who cut me off in traffic. Jesus asks God to forgive them because they don't know better. And these first words of Jesus put on the, of the full display of Jesus' mercy for all people. This shows us and reveals us to us why is it that Jesus came to earth to save, to love, and to forgive people, bad people, people who muck, people who make fun of, who are ridiculing him in that moment. His reaction is mercy. He prays for them. He prays for us. We are those sinners who sometimes cannot fully understand what the cross is all about and what Jesus has done for us. Jesus' first words on the cross are proof that through the cross, Jesus' arms are open to everybody. That Jesus accepts even the people who doubt him or mock him or hate him or even make fun of him. Jesus prays for those people. And it doesn't stop there. Jesus' first words on the cross also remind us that he is and will continue to be a representative before the Father until the end of time. Jesus is right this second continuing to do the very thing that he was doing at the cross. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us today. So I want to tell you, especially if you are not a believer. If you have been hostile to Jesus. If you have mocked religion or Jesus or Christianity. You need to hear this. It is not reciprocal. Jesus is not hostile to you. He is not looking at you with vengeance. He's looking at you with love. And he's praying for you. And he's saying, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. He desires to be close to you. That's the very reason why he desires you to be saved. He desires to be close to you. And this our good news for all because it means that, we, that through the cross, we are loved by God, even when we are hostile to him. This is an invitation to come to him, even if you've acted like those people. The second word is found in Luke chapter 23, verses 39 to 43. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. These two men next to Jesus were not there unjustly like Jesus. These were confessed 
criminals, convicted criminals who were paying for their crimes. And even though we don't know exactly what they did, what their crimes were, we know that they were pretty severe. In fact, crucifixion was the worst of the punishments available at the time, and it was reserved for the worst criminals. So these two men are not nice people that just happened to pass by or just did something little and they were crucified. No, these are some of the worst criminals around. To make matters worse, to, to be crucified in the Jewish community was to, was to be cursed by God, according to Deuteronomy 21, 23. In fact, the reason why they were hanged and crucified up high is because it, they were so cursed that they didn't want the, 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 the floor the, 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 in any way. And one of them begins to deride and make fun of Jesus. And he even asks for a miracle. He, asks, he has the, the nerve to say, hey, save us. The innocent one is being made fun by a criminal. And Jesus doesn't respond. He never interacts with him. He just listens. But then the other criminal interjects and rebukes the other one. He shuts him down and he actually starts rebuking him. And the amazing thing is that the other one, the, the, the criminal that, that talks to Jesus in a nice way, recognizes and accepts his sin. And in fact says, I recognize that I, I, I deserve to be here. And by making an astonishing claim, this other criminal recognizes Jesus as a sinless person. And understand that he is being crucified unjustly. And even more astonishing than that, he asked Jesus something even more audacious than the first criminal. He asked him for a place in his kingdom. Recognizing, number one, that Jesus is king. Number two, that Jesus is going to go somewhere, receive, wants to go that same day. This criminal received a revelation that nobody else had received. And he asks, do not forget about me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus responds immediately. He does not respond by telling him how to live his life, how to repeat a prayer. He doesn't even tell him how to follow a, a ritual. He doesn't even tell him about morals. He reacts to a confession of his lordship with one sentence. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, because of the confession that came out of your mouth, you will be in heaven with me and all your sufferings will end. His life straight. He has no time to, to do anything. He doesn't move a finger. And Jesus literally tells him, today you will be with me in paradise. The very first person that was saved by the work of Jesus on the cross, was a criminal who could not even move a finger. All that was sufficient was the confession and the declaration of Jesus' lordship 
and his own sin. And that can happen to us today, and in fact has happened. All we need to be saved, even if we are the worst of criminals, is to recognize that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and recognize our state of sin before him. These words of Jesus show us that we have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone. These words of Jesus show us that God loves sinners. Sinners. It shows us that even the worst of criminals are no match to God's grace. And this brings hope to us. And these words are not about a salvation that will come sometime in the future. These are words of hope. Words of abundant life that begins now and today for everybody. The life that Jesus offers to us and the life that we have as Christians is not a life that is going to begin sometime in the future, in the new earth, or in the new, in the, in the new uh, uh, heaven. No, it begins today. These words are good news for us because Jesus gives hope. We find it in John chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. And it says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he... Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. If you've noticed all each one of these words have not had to do with Jesus himself. They're all about others. And this is not the exception with this third phrase. Jesus, like any son who loves his mom, sees Mary and makes sure that she is taken care of before he leaves. We are told in several places in the Gospels that Jesus' siblings were not believing in him. At least at that moment. We see later on that James, who is the author of the book with that name, is Jesus' brother and he believed in him. But in that moment, Mary was probably alone. Jesus became such a prominent figure that isolated people or separated, separated people from each other. So most likely Mary was isolated or alienated because of Jesus. And the same was with John. Jesus was such a controversial figure that these people were alone. And in that moment, Jesus, being congruent with God's heart for the most vulnerable throughout the Bible, makes sure that his widow mother has a new community. And I say widow because most likely Joseph died during the process or, uh, or during Jesus' time of growing up. Jesus makes sure that his mom would be taken care of in a new community. Community of the poor, but the orphans, or the unborn, or the foreigner, they're supposed to care for everybody. Jesus gives John, his disciple, also the responsibility to care for his mom. And what we see here is the birth of a new kind of community. 
a community that reminds us that a true disciple of Jesus, a true uh, believer of Jesus, is someone who cares for others. This is a reminder that the church, the community of believers in Jesus, are the ones that care for the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner, and everyone else around them. These words are a reminder to us that through the cross, Jesus created a safe place for every person who is in need. A safe place where people will be cared for and nurtured and not used or abused. These words are good news for all of us because we are all needy and we all need community that accepts us. These words are good news for all of us because we are all broken and we need to be with people who accept us. These words are a reminder of how the church is supposed to look like a safe place for broken people a community of people who love each other like family both in, both Mary and John are given the responsibility and the privilege to care for one another and in fact Jesus this is said that this is going to be the very sign that will make other people want to come to church want to come to him Mary and John's family were not longer their parents or their siblings. Their new family was the community of faith. A community that loved each other sacrificially and deeply. And as we see in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, they had everything in common. So what, what, what these words mean for you and I is that if you are in need of a family, you are in the right place. That if you are in need of understanding, you are in the right place. That if you are broken and desperate and lonely, you are in the right place. Because here, we are all a bunch of imperfect, broken, and needy people just like you who need to try by the grace of God, even though we struggle through it. We'll continue to try by the grace of God to do it. The fourth word we find is in John chapter 19. And this is a short one. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. Jesus fulfills two prophecies by saying that he's thirsty. Both were written about 600 years before his crucifixion. And the first one is in, is in Psalm 22, verse 15, that says, My tongue sticks to my jaws. The second one is in Psalm 69, 21, that says, And for my thirst they gave me sour drink, sour wine to drink. In fact, the, the, very, the, the very crucifixion was prophesied in an impressive way in Isaiah 53. But this is not my point. This is not what I want to highlight. The last word of Jesus, by saying, I thirst, touch on an aspect that is often overlooked about Christianity. And it's that Christianity, our faith, is not a faith that is only concerned with the spiritual and the eternal. Sometimes we tend to believe that Christianity, our faith, is all about a future salvation that will one day come. But the fact is that Christianity is not a faith that only concerns about those things. No, it is a faith system of a God who became flesh. 
It is a faith system of a, of a God who was fully human, who suffered agony before his death, just like you and I. And by Jesus, by Jesus saying, I thirst, he is showing us that the person on the cross is not just a story for us to illustrate something. Or that the person on the cross is not just a legend or an imaginary God who pretended to suffer for us. No, this was an actual person. Jesus Christ who was born in Nazareth. He is a person. He was crucified 2,000 years ago. He was fully human bled and suffered a horrible death and this is good news because Christianity is not just about ethereal abstract things Christianity is about today and your daily life and every one of your needs Jesus's words he remind us that he understands our humanity he relates to us he knows what it means to be betrayed to be sad to be lonely to be to go through every single thing that we've gone through he has compassion on us because he experienced the same temptations and struggles we experience. That's, just, that's what the author of Hebrews tells us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. His thirst is a real thing as anything we have experienced ourselves. These first three words are about others. The first ones we saw. But this one, I thirst, is the first one about Jesus' needs on the cross. Yet, this is not less important than the rest. Jesus understands that we need physical, emotional things. This is also a reminder that it is totally acceptable to express your tangible needs to the Father and to Jesus. This exclamation of I thirst shows that God cares for our daily and normal needs as well. And I want to address our faith into this abstract, doctrinal, impersonal faith that is only concerned with our future glorification or getting the right concepts. But we have ended up with a faith that ignores our present concrete experiential and real life struggles that touch everything within us and around us. God made us in his image. God is the one who gave us feelings. God is the one who gave us needs. It was his idea for us to hurt. It was his idea for us to cry. It was his idea for us to eat and need sleep. It was his idea. We are his creation and his salvation touches those things as well. And not only for us, it touches it for others Jesus' words on the cross remind us that Jesus cares for every single one of our needs. Spiritual, physical, emotional, relational, whatever your need is, he invented it. And he cares about that need. Christianity is an integral faith that saves not only souls or spirits, but saves human beings created in his image who will one day have a new perfected body that will live eternally. This is good news for all of us because if we're honest, we are all desperate for something. 
This is good news because our salvation and the abundant life that Jesus promises is not something that we need to wait for until the end of the time. This is good news for us because every single one of us can come to our Father with, I need money. Because every single one, this is not just for the prosperity gospel. This is for every Christian. You can go to God and you can tell him, I am lonely. You can go to God and you can say, I need a friend. You can go to God and you can say, Lord, I need a hug. And even better, you Jesus' words on the cross remind us that Jesus cares for every single one of our needs. Salvation begins today. The abundant life, the joy and the peace are available to you today. And that's good news. The fifth word from the cross, we find it in Mark 15, verses 33 and 34. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Please excuse me if I butcher that, Eloi, Eloi, I don't even know how to pronounce that. But this is an interesting and very important phrase for us because, because of two reasons. First is that Jesus has been in this journey to the cross since the previous night. He hasn't slept. He, hasn't, he was beaten. He was tried unjustly. He was crucified. And, and, and he's in horrible physical pain, but he's also in a lot of emotional and relational pain. Yeah. Judas betrayed him. Yes. Peter denied him three times. And many of his disciples ran away and left him alone. And he's hanging from the cross. And the last, the last drop just falls on him. And his father forsakes him. Can you imagine that? Like each one of your friends just disappears in the worst of moments for you. And then you reach out to your parents and you're like, of course they're going to help me. And they don't pick up. Or worse, they reject you. Jesus is alone. And this is abandoned. So if you're here and you have been abandoned or you just went through or have gone through a relational uh, struggle that touches on abandonment or uh, betrayal, I want you to know that Jesus understands that. He was abandoned. He was the cross by everybody. So you're not alone. Are not alone. The cross is a proof that Jesus relates to you, even in that. He sees your suffering and your pain. So you can be assured that he knows what you're going through. And the second aspect why this is important is because this phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? has a deep theological meaning. And that is that Jesus became sin for us. Let me explain this a little bit. God knew that it was impossible for all of us humans to save ourselves in our strength. No person can ever achieve salvation on their own. 
We cannot keep God's commitments. We cannot love God as we're supposed to. We cannot love our neighbor as we're supposed to. We are all sinners because we choose daily to love ourselves and do what we like. We are not only sinners by choice, we're also sinners by nature because of Adam's sin on the garden. And we have all fell short of the glory of God and sin separated us from God. And that's why it is paid by death, an eternal separation from God. But God, knowing this, being rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love, sends his son to die for us. God sends Jesus to do exactly what we couldn't do. Jesus came to live the perfect life we were supposed to live. Jesus came to love the Father like we were supposed to love him. Jesus came to love others the way we're supposed to love him. And even more, until the cross, until death, Jesus came to give his life for others. And on that cross... All of our sins are put on Jesus. In that cross, he is carrying everybody's sins. So he with Jesus anymore because he became sin. He did not sin. He became sin. In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And as Jesus is hanging from the cross, carrying our sin, the Father abandons Jesus as part of the necessary punishment for our sins. And some theologians agree with the fact that this was the worst moment for Jesus. The biggest pain Jesus experienced on the cross was not physical. was the separation from his Father. Jesus has been with the Father from eternity. He has never experienced separation from him. And this is the very cup that he asks the Father to pass from him in Gethsemane. The wrath of God is upon Jesus Christ on the cross, and the Father turns his face away, away from the Son, and Jesus cries out, Why have you forsaken me? And it's not because he didn't know why he wasn't forsaking. He was forsaking him. It was, it was a cry of pain. But this is good news for us. Because through his words, we know that he became sin in our place. I grace. And this is paid off. And Jesus did it all for us by grace. And this is confirmed in the next phrase. The next phrase is in John 19.30. And it is when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Can you say it with me? It is finished. Such a short phrase, but so powerful and deep. This is a declaration of victory. Jesus' mission was successfully accomplished. Satan was defeated. He had no idea. And the very weapon he used to kill him was the weapon that God used to defeat him. The Father's plan to save his people worked out perfectly. Salvation was accomplished for you and me on that cross at that very moment. And this are the best news ever. And you know this. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We are saved by what Jesus did on the cross. Let me clarify this. If you're a Christian, you need to hear this. And if you're not a Christian, you also need to hear this. Nobody is saved by what they do. We're only saved by what Jesus did. Nobody's saved by how good they are. We are only saved by how good Jesus is. We are not saved by our power. We're only saved by Jesus' power. We are not saved because we deserve it. We are only saved because Jesus earned it in our place. It is done. It is finished. Jesus has done it for all of us by grace. And all we have to do is do the same thing the criminal did. Confess our sins. Recognize him as as Lord and Savior. And we would be in heaven with him. It is done. It is done. There is nothing you can do to get more saved or less saved. If you have been saved, you are saved. And before I move on to the last word, I just want to make sure you understand something. The cross means that God loves you. But I want you to have this image. Salvation, what Jesus did for us on the cross, is not that you are holding on to Jesus. Lifeline in a horrible fighting for our life has to let go of that. But the reality is that that is not a good picture for salvation. The best picture of salvation is that you are being held by the most powerful and loving God ever. And he will never, ever let you go. He is holding you like a baby. I remember the first time I had a son. I have four now. I did it four times. But the very first time my son was born, I came out of the hospital and the world was horrible. I don't know if that ever happened to you. But I remember walking out with a uh, uh, carrying thing to put in the car. <laughs> and I just, the, the doors open. And I've been in a hospital for about two days. And I looked at the world and everybody was driving super fast. <laughs> everybody was way too mean. The air was way too polluted. I was just like, what am I going to do? And I just remember holding on to that car seat, putting him there, making sure that he had like cushions and blankets all over. I didn't even want, I didn't want to drive. And that's how God keeps us. You're not walking life alone. You're not alone. You have a God that you can even measure with you every day. He cares about you. He gave his son for you. And this is the good news of the gospel. And it is done. There's nothing you can do so that he can love you more. He already does. The cross tells you. The the cross yells, screams, I love you. And this is the good news for everybody. This continues to be good news for me. And I've been a Christian for almost 30 years. And if you're not a Christian, this is the gospel that we preach. This is our message. God loves you. And before I run out of time, 
the fifth, the seventh word is in Luke 23. And while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, and Heather, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. It is not a coincidence that the first word is Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. And the last word is Father, in your hands I commend my spirit. There is an intentionality in these words. And it is that everything has to do with the Father. Jesus came obeying the will of the Father. And he's, he has reconciled us to the Father. And he has provided forgiveness for us from the Father. Jesus is accomplishing our salvation and bringing us back to the Father. And what this means for us is that we have a new family. Is that now through Jesus you can actually call God your Father. You are not alone. And John says it well. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. You are now, through the cross, a daughter and a son of God. You have a new family. And guess what? Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven. Even though our salvation begins now, and we can tap into it now, it will be unimaginable when we get there. It's going to be beyond your wildest dreams. And we will be with him forever. And our lives belong to him. Our lives belong to Jesus. And we can rest in his care. We can believe that he will carry us through. That is what we need to remember as one thing. And as I end, I just want to say one thing. This great message, even though it helps us feel amazingly loved, it should never stop there. The message of the cross is not for you to keep. The message of the cross is for you to, for you to pass it on to others. The message of the cross is a public message. This was not a public beating or a, a, a private beating or a private crucifixion. It was for all the world to see. And it continues to be that way. And I want to challenge us as a church, as we head towards uh, Easter, take advantage of this opportunity and share this good news with others. Next Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection, probably the best part of the whole thing. So if you have the opportunity, take the step and invite somebody to church. Engage somebody with the gospel. And let's make sure that this message continues to spread all throughout our city. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your message. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for everything you have done for us. You are such a good and amazing God. Lord, I pray that today we would be drawn closer to you. Lord, I pray that today we would be reminded of how much you love us. Thank you, Jesus. 
I pray that today we would also continue to worship you. For us, in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.